So as some of you know, I've been recording episodes for a second podcast kind of sporadically here and there when I have time over the past year and a bit. And most of it has never been released. But because it's Halloween and this episode has a bit of a spooky theme, it seemed like a good idea to put one of these out on the Witch Police feed. So this is a podcast called Incognito Johnson, which is a collaboration between me in Winnipeg and my friend Alex in San Francisco. Alex has been on Witch Police in a previous episode, talking about what he's doing out there. He's a past member of Grandpa's Army with me back in the day. And we started doing this kind of just as a way to uh, hang out, despite being in different cities. And we've recorded a few of them. Most of them have not been heard by anyone. And this is a recent one we did. I had originally planned on putting it in the Witch Please feed earlier, but I have so much, act- I don't want to say actual content, but I have so much new interview content for Witch Please that I haven't had a chance to just fit it into the schedule. So here it is. It's on Halloween. It's very different than what you're used to if you're a regular listener to Witch Please, but it's a lot of fun. It's a story about an insane 16th century composer slash murderer. And if you listen to this episode, please give some feedback. I'd really like to know what people think of this Incognito Johnson concept. Uh, there's a bunch more, like I said, in the can that I haven't released yet. And if people dig it, I will definitely put those out as well. Happy Halloween. I'm not all that knowledgeable classical music. Like, are you, do you have uh, a sense of, I mean, for classical music, I know the kind of the sound of super famous composers. I know which ones I like. I don't know which ones I don't like, but I don't really know why. I just kind of like have a general sense of like, oh, this sounds cool. Do you have any deeper knowledge of that stuff? I don't. I know like a couple anecdotes about composers yeah. and a lot of them were like contemporaries that you, you wouldn't necessarily think about. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's pretty limited. Yeah, my knowledge of, you know, like, these guys' actual life stories and stuff is from watching, like, Amadeus a bunch of times. <laughs> like, I don't really have any kind of uh, actual background. So, um, when I found the, the, the person that we're going to be talking about here, it was definitely through a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Um, I ended up somehow, um, and I think I know how I did it, and we'll get back to that in a minute uh, later on, but um, I found a Wikipedia rabbit hole about Renaissance composers, and... Yeah, I think I was just sitting there kind of clicking away and like, who's this guy? Who's this guy, right? And so I wasn't expecting to come across anything like even remotely as crazy (laughs) as what we're about to talk about. So um, before we start on that, though, like just on top of not knowing much about classical composers, I also don't know very much about the technical aspects of the music. Like, you know, you were a band with me, you know how bad my knowledge of musical theory is. And this is like beyond that, right? So I I was reading a lot about this guy and about this story that we're going to talk about and and I got into the weeds of some kind of like 17th century music theory and it's just so far over my head. Like I was trying to find a way to kind of explain certain aspects of it by reading all these articles and and things and it just, I I can't. So I'm going to dumb it down in like the, the the most, the dumbest way possible by comparing it to like pop music, because I think it's the only way that we can make any sense of it. So that's fair. Yeah. So for comparison's sake, so let's just say that, um, big mainstream composers uh, let's just say it's the equivalent to radio pop music so all the all the big names everyone's heard of let's just say that's you know so if we put ourselves in the 60s that's the beatles and that has nothing to do with my personal taste on the beatles it's just as an example that that makes sense right so that's the beatles so in the same era you also have someone like uh john coltrane who's doing stuff that is way more avant-garde way more just kind of like out there right so the beatles are playing music that's very straight ahead has established rules of verse chorus verse this makes a pop song there's a palatable sound to everyone and then you have other guys at the same time period just going bananas with avant-garde shit and dissonance and chords that aren't supposed to be chords 
and whatnot, right? So this guy, sure. the story is about is sorry. I think it works better if you say the Rolling Stones than the Beatles. Okay, the Rolling Stones, sure, 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 yeah. sure, sure. A, a, a pop band that has an established style and follows into sure. pop rock traditions. Yeah. So, yeah. So this guy, the story is about is using that terrible comparison, essentially the John Coltrane of the early 1600s, in the okay. sense that he's playing stuff that is so far out from what people are listening to and what is kind of accepted as the the, the music of the day, right? So. But- uh the little bit that i do know about classical composers is that a lot of this was like associated with the aristocracy and whatnot this yeah uh, it comes at the into time player. and so yeah. like you couldn't just be poor and be a classical composer so this guy presumably had very some wealth, wealthy but then was like very also choosing to be different than what was going on at the era yeah like intentionally. Yeah, definitely definitely and oh, we're getting okay. we're getting to that that's like the definitely extremely wealthy is is, is important because yeah for sure you couldn't just be some guy because where would you have access to like a harpist cord or paper or being able to read or you know any of that stuff right so so okay so we have sudden you rewind from this like culture and comparison and so this guy carlo gesualdo have you heard of him i have not i had not either so i'm glad you have because if you'd heard of him it kind of ruins sort of the fun i don't know if fun is the right word but some of the insanity of, of his life so he was born in 1566 to obviously an aristocratic Italian family. His mom was the Pope's niece. So that kind of gives you an idea of how, okay. how well yeah. off. So he, he, he was, his dad was like the prince of something. One of these city states that no longer exists, right? Or, or is just now it's just a regular city. So big castles, lots of cash, all that shit, right? So um, by the sounds of things, he was set to be going to the priesthood because, you know, they had that like birth order thing back then. So, you know, the oldest son does this, the second son does this. He was going to be a priest and then his older brother died. So now it's like, oh, you get to be the the heir to the, the dukedom or princedom or whatever it is. So he's now, his life is completely changed and he's shifted over to being, you're going to be the, the next guy who's running this weird castle in some random part of Italy. So, um, the Prince of Venosa, that's what the title is. So, whatever, wherever Venosa is, it sounds Italian, uh, <laughs> this guy is the prince. So, as you did in those days, uh, Carlo, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, so I'm going to just go with Carlo. So, Carlo uh, marries his cousin Maria, as you do in the 1600s. As you do. <laughs> they have a kid, you know, the usual thing, right? And he was apparently obsessed with music to the ex- exclusion of everything else. Like, just complete super focus on on music and only music and so at first uh from what i read anyway he was a semi-decent composer to begin with but kind of in the oh yeah it's a rich guy composing as a hobby very nice golf clap kind of way you know and it was good but it was nothing like a lot of guys were doing that right they all had music training and stuff so he's just doing that and then um you know like a an offshoot of a major label gave him the shop and then dropped him after the first record didn't sell <laughs> that kind of vibe right so carl is playing playing music he's married everything's going all right and his specialty um was madrigals are you familiar with what a madrigal is i'd heard the word but i didn't know what it was yeah i've heard of it but i can't picture what that would be so uh, i from what i have gathered and from listening to it and from just reading about it it sounds like it's essentially a a particular form of secular vocal music so there's no instruments it's all acapella and as opposed to the only religious stuff happening at the time with most of the music was was you know church-based right this was secular stuff and it was usually three or four people singing and that's it, like no background music or anything. And he was, this was his, his jam. Okay, so it, it's like an acapella, but it's uh, specific to the time period or something? Yeah, it's had his heyday in the Renaissance and Baroque periods, if that means, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't mean that much to me, but I have, a, I have like my brain's image of what the Renaissance is, right? So, I mean, yeah, like dudes wearing those frilly pants and stuff. And 
I feel like that that makes me also think that there's probably uh, an equally deep rabbit hole on the word heyday and where that comes from. But oh, totally, where... yeah, yeah. That's that's that, 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 that there probably is. Now I'm going to look it up after we do this. But so anyway, so our pal our our pal Carlo is uh, he's yeah. writing these things, and, and keep in mind that like at this point, what he's writing is super normal sounding. It's it's just what's expected of a guy with musical training in. 1580s at this point so then suddenly 1590 comes around and shit gets really weird so uh this is this story i'm about to explain here is partially why he's famous like he's famous for his music and like i said you know i've been hinting at his music is something different and, and unique and everything but this incident here is also why he's famous so there's a lot of speculation about what happened i read a bunch of articles about it because he's been pretty heavily covered in recent years um and some of it's obviously fictional nonsense like you know it's just hundreds of years ago people's stories kind of change or whatever but the broad strokes so carlo comes home to the palace one night because he has a palace because he's a prince of whatever it was and uh, he catches his wife in bed with this guy whose name is fabricio carafa and fabricio is described contemporaneously as what is it here it was pretty funny a model of beauty so he's this really good looking dude and he's in bed with carlo's wife so carlo loses his shit and <laughs> according to the as you do <laughs> according to the report uh from the investigators at the time and like i have no clue how Seven, how thorough 17th century Italian police work was, but you know yeah. they, they had, had investigators and they, they made notes. Obviously, um, they came to the scene, and Fabrizio, the, this uh, beautiful man here, was quote covered in blood and pierced with many wounds, including a gunshot that had gone straight through his elbow and even straight through his breast. And so he'd also been shot in the head. And another quote here: a bit of his brain had oozed out. So he's been like just brutally murdered here. Right? The, 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 it's it's so weird that for some reason like I was completely down with the idea that a harpsichord is, existed, but I wasn't thinking that guns existed. I know when I read that I was like, really guns? I mean, he's also got multiple st- stab wounds from swords all over his body. That makes sense. I was thinking, yeah, yeah sword, of course. Yeah. But no, he shot him repeatedly, stabbed him repeatedly, and so that that's him. He's definitely dead. Like gore everywhere. It's the horrific scene. And so the wife Maria, she doesn't really do any better. Throat cut, sword wounds all over the place. Also, obviously dead. Okay. So, uh, Carlo, being a member of the aristocracy, he just kind of hangs around <laughs> for a bit. <laughs> like, he's not really in a haste to escape the scene of this murder. And witnesses, which I guess were servants or whatever, probably. I mean, he, he clearly has people around the palace doing stuff, right? They apparently heard him say, according to the police report, the 17th century police report, that he said, kill that scoundrel along with this harlot. So... I mean, it's not really like there's any question about who did it. Like, he's, he's, <laughs> they've all seen him at the scene. It's his house, it's his wife. He said he's going to kill them. And apparently, he went back in after they were already dead and continued stabbing them, like, oh, before eventually leaving. So, I wonder if scoundrel was a contemporaneous uh, term there or if that was a translation later. That's, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, a harlot, too. Like, who knows what they actually would have said in, in Italian in 1590. <laughs> There was a uh, there was another question I had about that uh, circumstance, but I know that this isn't important. But it's just you painted a very vivid picture. Um, well, the police, the the, the fifteen ninety police painted a very vivid picture. I'm just like you know that's, reading that's their true, notes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, <laughs> was there? Would you have a question about it? Or? Uh, I thought I did, but now now I'm blanking on it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so this they're, is, they're, this they're is leading somewhere. So yeah, yeah, they're dead. Both of them are dead, and so being a rich nobleman, uh, there is no punishment. Like <laughs> he's just free to go. <laughs> You're cool. We're gonna get rid of these bodies and just go about your your way, which is insane. I mean, because yeah. I get that it was a different time and stuff, but brutally murdering two people, and one of them was like uh, you know also they're also nobility. Like his wife was the Duchess of something, and this guy was the Duke of something else, and so but nothing like 
when when uh, I think what I was thinking about, and I'm realizing now it's a separate country, but like, what's the Spanish Inquisition? Do you know what year that was? Just to like, yeah, go on for hundreds of years, literally. Like, I think it went on for a really long time, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, not sure if it's that's it. It's a good question, but all right. Anyway, yeah, because well, yeah, so. part of it was like, how easy would it be to get away with this? But I, I think you've just explained that it was very easy because he's rich and he's running shit yeah. because he's the prince of whatever yeah so so anyway so he gets off no legal punishment <laughs> just like you know go about your business you're, you're good like see you tomorrow whatever and, and so obviously the situation affects his reputation as a musician because this is what he does for a living i mean despite being fabulously rich he's trying to start a career as a musician right so people know him now as the guy who murdered two people <laughs> so <laughs> which you know there's just some contemporary like nowadays um comparisons is definitely a bunch of a lot of musicians who've done horrible things and uh they kind of and actors and other celebrities and it kind of comes along with them in a way maybe not this bad but you know what i mean right like 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 pistorius like isn't invited to the olympics anymore yeah yeah totally yeah. <laughs> pistorius is a great example yeah for sure so this is the pistorius of 1590 so he <laughs> kind of so he gets off whatever and he also his reputation as just like a guy walking around town is also damaged because everyone's mm-hmm. terrified of him because he is just you know, openly and without consequence murdered these two people. So um, rumors abound about what actually happened because it was gruesome and, you know, it's there's no internet or whatever, so there are people are just telling each other. And so among the rumors that came out, uh, there was some vampire stuff implying that he had, you know, committed some kind of acts of vampirism on the, uh, on the bodies, that he'd uh, removed the organs and done some weird wizardry with it, uh, that he invited an insane monk to come and violate the corpses, the stuff about witches being involved, and, and, you know, and so on. So I read one article where they describe it as the O.J. Simpson case of its era, which... <laughs> I mean, I can see the comparison for sure, but it just made me laugh. The idea that they're comparing this guy in 1590 to OJ. Yeah. Similarly, they get off without jail time, (laughs) I guess. But so anyway, so he's a musician. This is the important bit, right? This is the the connection to all of this. So you jump back to music for a second. And after the murder happens, his madrigals start to get really messed up. Like he was doing just kind of normal run-of-the-mill madrigals before this. And he starts writing after the murders, explicitly sexual stuff, which was obviously not cool in a Catholic country, you know, where in 1590, right? So he's writing this really gross stuff. And then he, um, he starts focusing on themes of death and pain and other, like just really extreme, like it's like cannibal corpse, <laughs> you know, but of did, back did, then. Did, did it explain whether these are being performed or just written? And the people They're are... being performed. Yeah. He would get three women usually would be his kind of his, his main, his main group that would perform these. And, Apparently they had to be virtuosos because it was starting to get so crazy. Like just the level of, I'm going to get into that too, but the level of musicality of it was just so weird that they had to find these people who really knew what they were doing. And so they're up there, you know, in front of whatever, I don't know what kind of audience they would have had, but singing this insane stuff that's really dirty and really murderous and dark. And so, yeah, it's notably weird. Like it's not just, you know, (laughs) so it's like, oh, we wrote a dark song. It's like, no, this guy's something's off about him, right? So, and then the Coltrane stuff starts happening where he starts combining chords in what was described as the time as shocking ways and experimenting with dissonance and like pretty much avant-garde sounds. And one of the descriptions I read is that most composers at the time were writing pieces where there'd be obvious sections where individual voices would take the lead and basically do solos, which, you know, most music, right? There's, there's a certain instrument or certain voice that is kind of at the forefront but his mm-hmm. stuff from what i understand um every part is given equal prominence so it's just this barrage of sound where everyone is like you know all the different parts of this group of women singing are all just kind of bombarding you all at once with it, like at, at the same 
volume <laughs> and intensity, which is, you know, it's kind of hard to hard to take that. Especially that, I feel like that could be interesting because then it's like each time you listen to it, you as an audience member could focus on a different aspect or something. Totally. Yeah. 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 So everything that I would I was able to look up about this said that what he was doing was so original. Um no other composers even touched this stuff until the 19th century or even the early 20th century. So mm -hmm. it's literally 300 years later that no one is even going near this kind of weird because it was just not part of the uh, the musical vocabulary at the time, right? People just didn't mm -hmm. know how to do it. So he's writing this crazy shit and he decides to get married again because, you know, why not? Obviously, he was able to murder his wife last time. <laughs> Nothing happened, so let's do it again. So he gets married to this woman named Leonora, who's the Duchess of whatever. And uh, I don't think which of the Duchess of is important. Yeah. But um, basically, he treats her terribly, beating her, whatnot. And there's not really a record of how she ended up dying eventually, but um, there's a very uh, kind of important biography written of him in the 1920s. And the only thing to say about her death is that there is no record of his having killed her. So like, <laughs> it's not like he for sure didn't kill her. It's just like, they yeah. don't have the information to confirm or deny whether he killed her or not. So, I mean, there's, there's clearly a suspicion even from the person writing the biography. Oh, like, totally. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, cause you know, it's not that really shocking cause he did it before. Right. So I just like that. There is no record of his having killed her. So I thought it was pretty funny. Um, so eventually wife number two dies, however she dies and, uh, their son dies. I couldn't figure out what, the son died from either, but I guess he was somewhat young because this is the second wife's kid. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he really loses it. So he, he tells the servants now that their new gig is not to serve on him the way they used to, but they basically just have to beat him daily. So he's got all these guys working in the castle. <laughs> their job is now to just beat the shit out of him like on a regular basis. Like um, like flogging him or yeah. like well, fighting It's him. a beating him. So, I mean, oh. flogging is part of it, and he specifically had a guy whose job was literally to whip him while he was using the toilet which is just <laughs> bizarre right so he's got that guy and the other guys are, are hired to like the, the, their job uh, description changes from like serving food to just beat me with you know whatever i guess you would beat one with in uh, the 1600s but so he's he's gone off like <laughs> he's gone very far from just a jealous lover who acted in a fit of passion right to this guy who's writing this really messed up music and is clearly got some mental problems uh, yeah. or something right so he's also at this time accused of more witchcraft and stuff um of vaguely sexual and definitely violent stuff with a bunch of local men who are like coming in and out of the castle doing some kind of weird shit with them um and uh, the vampire stuff comes up again and all these rumors and everything and my favorite incident of all of these incidents was he apparently for months or it could have been longer than that, tried and failed to convince uh, some church guy, I think it was a cardinal, to let him dig up his uncle's bones because he was convinced that his uncle's bones would absolve him of his crimes. <laughs> Wait, uh, Carlos's uncle? Or the yes, Car Carlos's uncle. He, his uncle oh. is dead, and he's like, hey, church guy, if you let me dig up my uncle's bones, specifically his finger for some reason, this is going to help me. <laughs> It's going to help me, like, absolve myself of all these murders I've committed, you know? Like, And so the church guy just was like, no, you can't. You can't dig up this guy's bones just to, like, for some kind of witchcraft or voodoo or whatever. And so, uh, anyway, up until this point, he's mostly done uh, secular music, right? He's doing the madrigals. He's doing the stuff that is focused on death and, and, and darkness and everything. And so he kind of has, like, a, a switch up and he starts writing religious music. But he doesn't change how sonically extreme it is. So he's writing this... <laughs> this 
crazy music that's really, really heavily focused on like Jesus' suffering and stuff. And it's apparently super repetitive and, and like really out there. And so, you know, that I can't imagine that went over <laughs> went over well. You got this like murderer who's obviously insane and like weird things are happening in his castle and he's writing these songs that are just like, you know, not only like kind of really in your face with the, the sound of it, but also just like he's repeating stuff over and over again and focusing on like death and destruction and things. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would love to have hear from a guy who was around at that time just to like get his take on what this was because, you know, it must have been just really jarring, right? Because, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like probably the church probably entertained it to a certain degree. Because he was rich. Yeah, because of that that interplay that they have. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And like the funny thing is too, I listen to some of the the religious stuff, and it's really like it's beautiful music. It's really really cool, but it's it's off. <laughs> it's messed up. Like I think at first you listen, you're like, okay, yeah, this sounds like some kind of Renaissance church music I've heard in like a movie or something, and then it's just like, wait, what's going <laughs> what's going on here? Like I recognize some of these Latin words, sort of, and it means it clearly is talking about death and and you know like all kinds of just weird stuff. So anyway, so. All that happens, and then just suddenly at age 47 in 1613, he dies. Just no explanation of how he died. That's pretty young, but it's also hundreds of years ago. So I don't know if there's any foul, foul play. There were apparently some rumors that he was murdered, which I don't think would be shocking. But mm-hmm. the biographers in the 20s couldn't substantiate that. And they were like the main source of a lot of this info. So he's dead. So- <laughs> maybe maybe daily beatings had something to do with <laughs> Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't surprise me either. So 1613, he's dead and he gets buried in this, um, I don't know, some part of a church. And I don't know what it's called where you bury people. It wasn't a graveyard. It was like inside the physical church. 50 years later, an earthquake happens. That church is destroyed. And then nothing for like 300 years. <laughs> Nobody hears anything about this guy. His music is thankfully not being performed because everyone's freaked out by it. He's dead. His grave is destroyed. <laughs> just, just, just radio silence for hundreds of years, and then suddenly, uh, someone, these two guys, discover him. I'm not sure how. And in 1926, they write a detailed biography, which repeats all of the gory details of the murders and stuff, and like the weirdness. And it becomes a hit, and people start realizing how far ahead of its time his music was. And so they, there's operas written about him. People start doing scholarly research. And this is well into the, the 20th century now, and there's books about him and stuff. Um, apparently, Stravinsky was super into him and wrote like a piece of music as a tribute to him, which I haven't heard, but that's like, you know, a well-known guy, right. Who is like, even my non-classical music knowing self recognizes the name Stravinsky. Right. So that guy was into him and (laughs) I really want to find this, but apparently in the nineties, some Australian guy made a record about him that is performed by violin tape deck and sampler. (laughs) So I'm super curious what that sounds like. So I gather he's kind of become this like cult figure, right? Like one of these weird guys that, that, you know, some extreme music nerd is just like super, super delved into and and gets obsessed with. Um, Aldous Huxley, the guy who wrote Brave New World, he was super into him, a big fan. And he apparently used to take uh, massive amounts of LSD while listening to this stuff in an attempt to connect to the music. And like, I've listened to it sober and that sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) like I like I, I like some of the stuff I heard, but I can't imagine like you know doing drugs specifically to get in the mindset of this insane murderer. Yeah, like it's so. Anyway, apparently he was a big fan though. So um, there's this great piece in the New Yorker from 2011 called "The Prince of Darkness," which is a 
you know, fitting name for this guy. Great title, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so the author, um, it, it gets quoted a lot in other articles on him because the author actually went to all these places in Italy where all this stuff happened. So he mm-hmm. like he talked to people who like now live there and stuff to get what like the rumors are still about him and the, this reputation of being a vampire and everything. And so the best line from that piece, which is also it's like everywhere. It's even on the Wikipedia page because it's such a cool line is um, if Gesualdo had not committed such shocking acts, we might not pay such close attention to his music, but if he had not written such shocking music, we wouldn't care so much about his deeds. Many bloodier crimes have uh, been forgotten. It's the nexus of high art and foul play that catches our fancy. I think that's what's cool. Like he's not only just a murderer, he's a murderer doing this really like way, way, way ahead of his time music. And he's also crazy, which helps like, Mm for the you know appeal it's like all these people who who for some unknown reason love charles manson right all these guys with the t-shirts and shit and it's like why would you why would you you know wear a shirt of that guy the guy's a scumbag he's a terrible person like and this is the same thing i guess right like this is a terrible person who i mean at least he made art that was good so he's up he got one up on manson (laughs) in that regard but i don't know so it's anyway i thought that was a cool line and so there's no happy ending or redemption arc or like, any positiveness about this guy. It, it's a scumbag who is uh, making music hundreds of years ahead of its time, which was presumably based on the timeline influenced by his guilt or whatever other feelings he had after committing these gruesome murders. Right. So it's not, um, there's not like some, you know, storybook like, Oh, and then this happened and then they found out it was a lie or whatever. No, he's, he did it <laughs> and he's awful. And, and so what this kind of made me wonder in general, and we talked about this at the beginning a bit, but is this going to happen to anyone else? Are there artists now who are making whatever kind of art that are considered to be just terrible people who 300 years from now, someone's going to discover like their, their record or their movie or whatever and find out what they did. And they will be kind of, kind of revered as some kind of mad genius. Well, you know, I was thinking the reverse someone who I think a lot of people think is a mad genius and seems like a very sweet guy who wouldn't do anything is Jacob Collier. Do you know him? I'm not sure. The name sounds vaguely familiar. Who, who is that? Uh, he's, he's like, I think he came up in prominence on the internet, but he's like a very skilled, like jazz musician. And he does a lot of stuff around, um, like really strange chords and like, uh, tuning, like being very mathematical about like certain tuning and stuff. And so he has, he has a Moon River song where he overdubbed himself like a hundred times, making these like a hundred note chords and stuff like that. Okay. And just okay. like, it's just like crazy. He's really exploring like these ideas of harmonies and, um, and whatnot. And so it's like, it's very avant garde and it's, it's not unpopular in its time. It's very well regarded. He's won Grammys and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But if he turned out to be like, a crazy like it would be kind of a similar thing where it's yeah. like he's really pushing these boundaries of music um but yeah i uh i think to the reverse of your question yeah it would be interesting i, I mean the other thing is i think if you think about it in different mediums you know there's like kevin spacey right who, that was one of the people i was thinking of too yeah. yeah you know like his i think it's undeniable that most like a lot of his movies are really great and he was really great in them yeah uh, but then you like his personal life is just a nightmare yeah, yeah 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 and the more you learn about it the more it's like oh he he was really bad like it's just i mean it's not i guess killing people with their brains coming out no but but, but um, i will and, and, and just to line up with current news like bill cosby right i mean yeah or bill marilyn cosby, manson i don't know if you've heard yeah marilyn manson right yeah like yeah. where people are like oh that wasn't an act like he yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that whole thing is kind of actually how he's living yeah <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous but Marilyn Manson almost seems like a guy taking someone like this dude and and 
patterning himself after him. Yeah. Without maybe. the extreme, like the, the going to the full extreme of actually murdering people, right? And I think there's a lot of like extreme, like a band like Cannibal Corpse or any of those those extreme death metal bands, like. But they're doing it as a joke. Like it's very tongue in cheek, right? Whereas mm-hmm. this is <laughs> clearly not. And so, was, uh, what got me thinking about this? I, th- I think there. I th- I'm not sure, but I think the way I found this guy was like I said, through Wikipedia rabbit hole, but I think I started <laughs> on John Hinckley, who is the nut job who shot Ronald Reagan because he thought it would impress Jodie Foster. Because mm, he yeah. got out of jail uh, not that long ago, and now he's trying to start a career as a singer-songwriter. Okay. And so, obviously, John Hinckley is not going to be as musically genius, I don't think, as this, as this guy, right? But, like, I wonder if someone like that is going to one day be re- rediscovered. Like, what if he makes some song that is ahead of his time? I don't know. I haven't listened to John Hinckley's records. <laughs> Whatever he's doing, I don't know if he has a record. But, like, you know, what if someone like that, he didn't actually kill anyone, so maybe not the best example, but, like, it made me think about this. There's this guy who's universally reviled in the States, I would assume, anyway, for trying to kill a president. And then he's like, oh, now I'm a singer. <laughs> this is my career now. Like, I'm on YouTube. <laughs> I it's... Know. I mean, maybe uh, maybe it'll be George W. Bush with those paintings he's doing. Yeah, yeah, that could that for sure. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> I, would I guess be a maybe good not universally reviled though. Though maybe should be. It's hard to say. No, I think he probably. Well, I mean, not universally, but yeah, yeah. But like, what if three hundred years from now someone finds one of George Bush's paintings, and maybe there's some aspect of them that's just like we're too in this time to re- realize how genius it is, and like you know these people will discover it and then be like, oh, wait, he, you know, is responsible for the deaths of all these people and he's a war criminal and he was rated the worst president ever until the next guy, or until Trump came along, right? Yeah. Something I wonder about this, though, and, uh, you know, like when you talk about Manson, right, there's these people that really focus on this uh, cult of personality with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I do wonder if maybe this is a a type of thing where, um, you know, and, and I don't, I don't exactly understand the music well enough but where he sort of like was accidentally ahead of his time you know what i mean um and when i think about that and this doesn't relate in the same way exactly but like kurt cobain for instance was somebody who was playing music i think he understood to some degrees of what he was doing but also for a large part didn't really uh or or has been overanalyzed throughout the years where people have been like oh, he just took this stripped down sound and was purposely, and I was like, I don't think that's what he was actually doing. I think he was, you know, using instruments that he was comfortable with and he was, you know, there was probably some element of I like this sound more yeah. than this sound, but I don't think he was overanalyzing it the same way that we do with like a no, modern he was perspective. Or he was academic. in it, yeah. 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 Um, and so maybe it's the same thing with this guy where it's it, he wasn't trying to be avant-garde or anything like that. It was just an accident of his... <laughs> he was crazy and yeah. he just murdered two people and he was like, let's put this into music form. And then that craziness developed like chord patterns and stuff that just weren't normal yeah yeah so i don't know murderers make great music is that, is that like the moral of the story <laughs> i mean phil specter his christmas album was the best christmas album yeah ever. yeah 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 phil specter was a genius right is he still alive no he's dead now i think he died yeah he must be dead now yeah yeah, yeah. i think he but died yeah, in he, prison last year right he was legitimately a genius though and that's maybe a great comparison because he was you know people are going to listen to his stuff i'm assuming 100 years from now there will be phil specter productions that are still in some kind of yeah they're out there they'll still be out there in some way or another right so mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe phil specter is and maybe at the time too in the new yorker piece actually about this guy it's it did actually kind of comment on that 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 
what he was doing, you know, is now kind of seen in retrospect as being super shocking, like musically, not the murders, that, that's always going to be shocking. But uh, the music stuff in retrospect seems so shocking compared to what, what, what everything else we've heard from that era. But it is possible that maybe it wasn't. And maybe he just was the guy who got his music uh, documented better. Like maybe there were other people in some town in Italy or wherever, right? Doing these kind of uh, innovations. And because it wasn't recorded because there's no technology for it. Like this is the guy who's, uh, you know, manuscripts get found and, and he gets the credit for it. It's like the, yeah, like the survivorship bias where yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, maybe a lot of people were doing that, but his is just the one that because of his wealth got uh, written down. And because of the story, right? I mean, that, these, yeah, these two true. guys, I don't know how they found him in the 20s that wrote the book about him, but that kind of started the uh, the reemergence of him in, ter- in like the public consciousness. And, and maybe they found out about the murder first and then realized, wait a minute, this guy actually had some really cool, really unique music things going on and kind of combined the two. I, I'm not sure. I do like those stories of like music being sort of lost to time and then rediscovered. Like, I, I don't yeah. know if you've seen that documentary on on death. Um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the for band sure. From Detroit, and yeah. then there was like Sugar Man was like a, another yeah. thing, and I like I actually like those, and I like the I music from them a lot too. And I'm like, yeah, these are great things that I'm glad someone uncovered uh, and was able to like find. And then you know the stories around them were always really sad yeah. and and are probably like uh, it's probably the tip of the iceberg of amazing music that is lost to time. Oh, for sure. For every death or or, or, or uh, it, that comes out and that gets a documentary made about them, right? There's mm-hmm. there's how many other bands that, that existed even in the same city and were playing really cool stuff. They just never recorded it or uh, never played a show or whatever, right? So they just, even in Winnipeg or anywhere, right? There's, there's, I'm sure there's tons of bands that are that were great and it's just, oh, like, you know, I don't know. Who? <laughs> there's one guy. It's probably me with the tape in the basement. Like, you know, it was so good. It was the best. But yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, especially like pre-internet, uh, it's surprising that you'd find anything from some of these bands. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, anyway, I, I just, I, I was, um, it was like a train wreck reading about this guy. And like, I, I, I kind of stumbled on his page by accident and, and I don't know, I don't think it was because of murder. I think I was looking up some kind of music. I, I don't know. I, I, I think you I got there somehow. You need to justify it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was like, <laughs> oh, this is fascinating. And then I looked up a bunch of articles about him. So I just thought it would be a cool story to share because I mean, you know, there's so many, kind of well-known contemporary artists who've done crazy things and this is just a guy from 300 years ago who was just completely off his nut and you know did, did some interesting music i'm actually going to look into more of his music because i listened to a bit of it and like i said at the beginning i don't i don't know classical music at all I, I know what sounds cool and some of this did sound cool but i don't have the technical knowledge to understand what he's doing other than i kind of like this part and maybe i don't like that part but yeah mm-hmm. so Let's dig up all the historical murderers and then uh, examine their art. <laughs> <laughs> or just like even, uh, it's just funny to think like classical music uh, a lot of the time is presented with this pomp and circumstance and whatnot. Yeah. And it's it's funny to, I don't know, hear stories around it that humanize the people around it and that they are like crazy or buffoons or, you yeah. know, whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of, yeah, it kind of takes the wind out of, I think, what people have made. It, it's really strange to me to some degree that like classical music has stayed this thing, um, like in the way that it hasn't, it hasn't moved forward to where like now uh, ragtime is being played in yeah, symphonies yeah. or something, you know, like they're, they're like, I know that there's modern classical music that they play as well, but it's strange that that period of music has like 
uh, or still dominates, yeah. Large, it's probably a large period, I'm sure, of a, hundred, a couple hundred years or something. But, yeah, for sure. But that becomes like a, a thing that we've kept in society is like, oh, this is this is upper upper crusty, yeah, uh, entertainment or something. The, it's, it's untouchable too, right? You can't, you can't. It's never going to go anywhere. And that's why I like um, stuff like finding out Mozart had a bunch of songs about farting and stuff, you know. And like, <laughs> and you read the lyrics in Germany, like this is amazing. And he's just a buffoon because, yeah, it's one of those guys that you see busts of him in, like, you know, people's studies and shit. And it's like, oh, this is uh, some, this, this, like, elevated guy. No, he's writing fart songs. And, like, the, the insane clown posse covered one of his songs. Like, you know. <laughs> I wonder if that'll be, like, Bieber in 500 years or something. Well, I mean, that guy has a kind of a ridiculous track record of stupid public uh, buffoonery, too, right? So, I mean, yeah. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. He does. He has an amazing ability to stay on the charts. Yeah. And, yeah. like, re- reinvent or get with producers who will keep his sound current. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's probably not him. Really it's probably incredible. mostly his team around him finding out what's cool. And then I heard that he heard Despacito, though, like on the radio when he was traveling and phoned up his manager and was like, I want. Oh, cool. Even on a remix of this song, so like I don't know, that's anecdotal, but maybe yeah. he does have some sense. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is like you know, how many of these people now, like Bieber, whoever, or even even Kurt Cobain, or, or people who you know from previous eras, like is in three hundred years from now, is anyone going to care who Nirvana was, or is it going to be just gone? Like, what dictates who sticks around, way 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 past their their lifespan? Because I, I don't know, yeah. I don't know if it's like what the, what the trick is, right? Because you think, oh, all these people, everyone's going to know who Pink Floyd is, or the Stones, or the Beatles, or you know, all these classic rock bands and stuff. But how many of them have kind of been lost every decade in the public consciousness, right? I'm sure in the '70s they thought, oh yeah, these bands are all going to be huge, and in the '80s a few of them kind of lost their luster, people forgot about them. In the '90s a few more. Like I, I don't know which ones. Like someone like Led Zeppelin, you assume that they will always be famous because they're so famous and they're so well known and the music is so popular but like will they in in the year 2120 is anyone going to care about you know when the levy breaks or something like i i would like never hear their songs unless i'm actively oh really like, okay. you don't hear them in the grocery store or whatever you know like yeah it's just not a it's not a thing that happens 